Welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Cray Bolger and I'm joined today with Mike Pratz. Hello. And we're going to talk trauma. We have a paper out of Egypt published in the Chinese Journal of Traumatology titled The Accuracy of Outcome and Rapid Ultrasound in Shock and Hypotension in Egyptian Polytrauma Polytrauma Patients. So essentially, can we use or should we use the RUSH protocol in our trauma patients? No. Knows a good answer. So, All right, and that about wraps it yeah, up. And we're Thanks done. For listening. <laughs> so we know that ultrasound has a role in the trauma bay. Um, it helps us identify life-threatening injuries and treat them quickly. It helps when our patients are too sick to go to the CAT scan, uh, and it helps guide our procedures. So ultrasound is good in trauma, yay. But how much ultrasound is good in trauma? And I think that's what we really address with this paper. Should we be expanding what we're looking at? Should we look at the aorta? Should we look for DVT? Should we look at the IVC? And that's the author's goal of this paper. Should we, can we, and how helpful is it? So what is the accuracy of the RUSH exam in polytrauma patients, and what are their outcomes secondary to our ultrasound? So I have to say that looking at the methods of this, some details were left out and it's a little bit clear. We'll try to connect the dots as best we can. This was a single hospital in Egypt. They included anyone that they defined as a polytrauma patient. And by that, they meant two major system injuries plus one major limb injury, one system injury plus two limb injuries, or one major injury plus an open skeletal injury and also unstable pelvic fractures with visceral injuries as well. So from that population, they also they also had to have a 28-day follow-up. They had to actually consent to the study. Not sure how you get consent in a sick trauma patient, but they made it happen, I guess. And they were all getting ATLS guideline care. They excluded people that had shock. That was from an, a source obviously not from trauma. So cross-sectional prospective study All the patients that came in got the primary survey according to ATLS. They treated things as they were encountered. They didn't let ultrasound get in the way of that. And then they seemed to do the secondary survey, get a history, and then that's when they started to do the RUSH protocol. Now, if everyone is not familiar with the RUSH protocol, you should definitely check it out. This is one of several hypotensive protocols, but it's pretty popular because it's easy to remember. It stands for Rapid Ultrasound and Shock and Hypotension. You can remember it the parts of it with the mnemonic high map heart ivc morrison's pouch indicating to do a fast exam aorta and then pneumothorax or your lung views so everyone in the study got the rush protocol they also got a portable chest x-ray and a portable pelvis x-ray then for 28 days they followed up these patients looking at did you have surgical interventions where did you get admitted to was it the icu or the floor and did you die or were you discharged home It seems that the main comparison was using your ultrasound diagnosis of what type of shock you were in compared to a pan-CT that all these patients got or the diagnosis by the admitting or emergency team based on the imaging that was obtained. Who did these ultrasounds? Well, it was the authors of the paper who were from the departments of emergency medicine, radiology, and anesthesia and critical care. The way that they defined these types of shock 
is a little questionable, but I'll go through it so you understand the paper. So when they called it hypovolemic shock, that meant they had a hyperdynamic heart, flat IVC, or they found peritoneal fluid, a AAA, or an aortic dissection. To call it cardiogenic shock, they had to have an hypodynamic heart, dilated heart, dilated IVC, B-lines, effusions, and no AAA. Obstructive was anything with a pericardial effusion, right heart strain, distended IVC, or pneumothorax, as indicated by the absence of lung sliding, or also if they found a DVT. I'm not sure if they checked everyone for DVTs or not. And then distributive shock, they said, was hyperdynamic or hypodynamic heart. Your IVC could be anything, and you had pleural or peritoneal fluid. So don't worry about remembering all those because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's unclear how you could differentiate between a hypovolemic shock and distributive shock based on these ultrasounds because there's so much overlap. And if you didn't find a very specific cause for their traumatic hypotension, it would be hard to put the patient into one of these categories. I will have a small disclaimer here. I love everything trauma. I'm an ATLS instructor, so there's a lot of things in this that baffle me. So we teach that the first thing, the second thing, and the third thing you should be treating is hypovolemic shock. The fourth thing you should do is consider neurogenic shock. The fifth thing you should do is treat hypovolemic shock in your trauma patients. They may have a different patient population. We're going to talk about that a little bit now. So they had 100 patients, 75% of them were male, which is your pretty classic trauma patient population. Hey, guys, hold my beer, watch this. Their age was pediatric through adults, so 7 to 65 years of age. 31% of their patients were less than 18, which is an interesting cohort. A lot of us, um, a lot of the studies typically are in either adults or peds. There's rarely a hybrid uh, patient population. 10% were greater than 60, so... Um, by many standards, geriatric trauma patients. And I would like to see actually each of these age groups broken down, which they did not, because I think that could potentially explain some of their results. Their most common uh, mode of injury was uh, motor vehicle collisions. That was 86%. They had a very small percentage of penetrating, so 8% penetrating, and actually a surprisingly small percentage of falls, um, only 6%, which may not compare to everybody's standard patient population in trauma bay. Um, they had 34% of extremity injuries, 32% of head injuries, 16% chest, 11 face, only 3.7% um, abdomen pelvis, um, which was only eight patients in their entire cohort, and 2.4% spine. So how sick were they? Um, their GCS on average was 13.1. Um, they did talk about patients with ISS scores greater than 16, um, though they didn't uh, break that down as far as um, their overall patient population. I didn't see a mean ISS score anywhere. Um, and that in trauma land is really how we tell how sick of a trauma patient you are. ISS greater than 15 um, is a much higher level of acuity um, than less than 15. They were mildly tachycardic with heart rates in the low 100s as an average. Their mean systolics were 74, which doesn't necessarily seem to correlate real well with the tachycardia. 43% went to the OR and then the ICU. 19% went to the ICU without the OR. Um, and 23% went to the OR without going to the ICU. They had a 43% mortality rate, which is pretty high. 53% um, went home with complete recovery. So how accurate were their, was their rush exam? They report an accuracy of 95.2%. 
And that will get a little confusing when we talk about how they break down what patient populations they saw. So if you were to ask me to guess, I would say 85% should be in the hypovolemic category and the other ones would be indeterminate in reality. Um, that is not what their numbers look like. They had only 64% of their patients deemed hypovolemic by their previous standards. 92% um, sensitive and 91% specific. They had a 10% cardiogenic shock rate. And this is where I would like to know, is this that geriatric population, which was ironically also 10% of their patients, um, is this pre-existing cardiac condition? They had a 14% obstructive shock rate, which when you look at their table of injuries, I'm not 100% certain where that comes from as they had no tamponade. They did have some lung contusion. Um, they had a very few pneumothoraces. So defining exactly where that obstructive shock came from um, is a bit of a challenge for me. Again, their sensitivities and specificities were pretty high for both of these, 100% for cardiogenic shock with a 98.9% specificity, 92.9% for obstructive shock with a 97% specificity. And then they also define distributive shock, which I am a POCUS lover and I enjoy critical care. And I always say it's really hard to define distributive shock with critical care, but somehow they managed to attempt to do so. Um, again, the definition looks almost identical to their hypovolemic shock definition. Um, they said that 12% of their patients had distributive shock with a sensitivity of 91.7% and a specificity of almost 97%. All right. Oh, so, that was a lot, huh? That's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of numbers. <laughs> so let's talk about this study and if we can actually trust those numbers. I think no. we, <laughs> again, yeah. I think we brought up some concerns that what they did in this study was they used ultrasound to put you into a category of shock and then using CT and other diagnostics tried to match up was that category of shock correct. And so the results show that the ultrasound was able to predict the shock. But that's not the real question. I think the real question is, do you need to do this ultrasound in the trauma bay? Is it going to add to your immediate management of the patient? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I mean, if you have a patient that is a hypotensive trauma patient, you're going to assume that they're either, most likely they're bleeding somewhere, or maybe they have a pneumothorax or blunt cardiac injury. And, you know, of course, like Craig said, then down the line you think maybe this could be neurogenic. But all these other things, like looking at everyone's aorta, looking at everyone's cardiac function, that seems rather low yield, at least in the populations that we're used to seeing. So the eFast and FAST, part of the goal is to be just that, FAST. Right? These are sick patients who need a quick diagnosis. That's why we don't dilly-dally over in CAT scan. That's why we don't waste time with unnecessary tests. And in my mind, this is adding unnecessary tests to a critically ill patient. In addition, the RUSH study was validated in medically ill patients. So its sensitivity specificities um, in the protocol itself was meant to be applied to a medically ill or medical critical care patient. We manage medical critical care patients different than we manage traumatically critically ill patients, right? We do some permissive hypotension. We do early operative intervention. We do more aggressive uh, blood volume resuscitation, massive transfusion protocol. The things I'm looking for and my needs for identification of injury and reversal of illness are very different in this patient population than they are in my medically ill patient. 
this population is different in another way too because although they had a pretty high mortality it seems that mostly came from head injuries uh, as seen by that table we discussed which shows very little abdominal or chest injuries so I think that they mostly died <coughs> from bleeds in their brain which although you can do transcranial Doppler and I'm kind of grateful that they didn't attempt to do that in the trauma bay yes. <laughs> it is probably not something that you need to do in the trauma bay when you suspect a head bleed. The other thing that I mentioned earlier that wasn't even discussed in this is neurogenic shock. So we don't routinely use ultrasound for neurogenic shock, but that's my second assumption in a trauma patient that's critically ill, is if they're not responding to volume resuscitation and I don't have an obvious source of bleeding, is there a high cord injury, is this neurogenic shock? And that's not, like I said, a typically an ultrasound diagnosis. That's a clinical diagnosis. And that wasn't even mentioned as a possible etiology of their shock. So I think we brought up a lot of concerns with this study. And so let me just summarize it. This was a prospective study at a single institution in Egypt where they took everyone with polytrauma that was hypotensive and they performed a full rush exam. Their findings were that the rush exam can accurately put people into a category of shock, but their methods were kind of questionable and somewhat unknown. Our take-home points from this study is that you don't need to do a rush exam in polytrauma patients. I don't think this study really proves that it's useful based on this limited data. And although the rush exam may be able to accurately categorize the type of shock, it's not really clear how that will help your management at this point. So don't try to replace your CTs with a full body ultrasound in the trauma bay right now. I agree. I think where something like the rush protocol could potentially be useful is that undifferentiated trauma, single vehicle trauma, fall from standing. You know, we have picked up AAAs in the trauma bay um, that we thought was a fall, but it's a very selective patient population. If two cars went really fast into each other, your aorta probably did not also explode as a result leading to the trauma. So I think, you know, keeping in mind who you're evaluating and the clinical context. If the trauma doesn't make sense and you need to look for a medical reason, you can consider using the RUSH protocol and ultrasound. But your general patient population with a clear mechanism, you're using your ultrasound to evaluate for immediately reversible injuries like a pneumothorax, peritoneal fluid, pleural fluid, pericardial fluid. Otherwise, we're going to resuscitate as a hypovolemic shock until proven otherwise. I'd like to quote the article to kind of summarize the findings here. This is a direct quote from the article. Little studies have been done for the accuracy of rush in polytrauma, so this study is kind of innovative. I agree that it is kind of innovative. And I thank the authors for doing this research. It is certainly interesting. And thank you for listening to our podcast again. Feel free to go to ultrasoundgel.org to check out some more articles and check out other posts that we have there. You can also go to our Google Plus page or our Facebook page. Check us out on Twitter. And feel free to give us a good review on iTunes. That would really help us out. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. More pressure, more gel, more pressure, more gel, more pressure, more gel. I've been doing that over here. Shuffle. Yes, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle.